Halito, and welcome to Native Chalk Talk, a podcast by Natives for all. Here, we're keeping our Native ancestors' stories and history alive, while also sharing with you our Native cultures, traditions, and more. I'm Rachel Youngman, a Choctaw originally from Anadarko, Oklahoma. I hope you'll enjoy this journey with me as we learn from our Native American guests. And stay tuned for the end of each episode, where we'll talk about some great ways to support Native causes and or Native-owned businesses. Let's get started. I am more than a maker. I'm more than an outdoorsman. More than a protector. Than a graduate. Than a princess. An athlete. A pastor. I'm more than a warrior. Chata Elifinachili. Chata Elifinachili. I am Choctaw proud. I am Choctaw proud. I am Choctaw proud. We are the Choctaw Nation, and together we're more. I'm visiting today with Dodie Rogers, daughter of the famous cowboy and cowgirl singers and actors, Roy Rogers and Dell Evans. We talked in part one of this episode about how Roy and Dell both found their soulmates in each other after some heartbreaking past marriages, and their love only grew over the years as their family was filled with more children. We left off, though, with Roy and Dale marrying and how they had had four kids from previous relationships, and now together they had their first child, Robin Elizabeth, who was born in 1950 and had Down syndrome. Dodie, tell us what happened to Robin Elizabeth. Well, after she was born, um, the doctors told her to um, that it would be better to keep her in an institution and mom and dad decided no that the best place for her would be at home with them and to be part of the family and just so that they could all enjoy the love um, that she she had for them and they had for her and um, she was a joy to them she you know she when she would smile and um, just uh, baby things, maybe a little bit slower than most, but um, she was really there, you know, a joy. Yeah. <clears throat> and then um, later um, she started having medical issues and she had developed mumps. Um, she um, succumbed to their, to her problems when she was only two years old. That's so sad. And I, there's pictures out there of Roy and Dell <clears throat> with Robin Elizabeth and they just look, they're so sweet. And it just kind of yeah. breaks my heart <laughs> knowing that they lost her at such a young age. And then your mom wrote a book about the situation and about Robin, right? Yes. She um, was grieving and it was suggested to her that um, it might help to write her feelings down. And she felt the need to to write her story but decided to write it as if it was robin herself hmm. um and that's how angel unaware came about and she um all um all the money that from the sales went to um the mentally at that time called them randomly retarded. So yeah, um, 
it's hard to use a lot of these terms now because know, right? things it's... have changed. I mean, it was yeah. not Down syndrome so much as Mongolism. In, oh, wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. So um, it's, yeah, so many things have changed. And uh, so it's hard to say the terms that they used to use back then. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. And that was the term they used at the time. And Dale, as you mentioned in the last uh, episode, was that the idea that she was not going to let Down syndrome make them look at little Robin Elizabeth any differently than any of the other kids. And I just mm -hmm. admire them for that in a time when that was not the way to do things. So Dale's heart must have been crushed. And I think that's why the story of Roy and Dale needs to be told. It certainly wasn't all rainbows and butterflies, even though it may have looked that way. They faced many tribulations and heartache, but their faith in Christ was strong. And they drew on that faith many times over with all that came their way. God had a plan to help heal Dale's broken heart as best as one can be mended when the death of a child is involved. However, I want to pause and talk about each of the children of this loving family one by one. Now, listeners, there are nine <laughs> kids. <laughs> are you buckled your seatbelts yet? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> There's a lot of them. But, you know, I just, the more I started reading about each one of y'all, I just was like, they need their stories told. You know, they aren't just the children of Roy and Dale. They each had their own story. And um, I just love your family. They're a wonderful family. Oh, so, you. all right, here we go, Dodie. Um, so there are nine kids total and that's why Dodie's laughing. Um, and it can get confusing <laughs> because it's like they, some of them were adopted, some were fostered, some were, um, born at a certain time, but adopted at a certain time. So mm -hmm. we're just going to share about each of them in order as to when they came into Roy and Dell's lives. So we talked about Thomas Frederick Fox Jr. born in 1927, who was Dale's son from her first marriage, and he would have been 20 when the Rogers got married. So tell us about Tom as an adult. What did he do for his career? Oh, he was a um, minister of music. Um, he, he went into music strongly, and um, he was really very good. And I want to do him justice because a lot of times um, so many um, stories about mom and dad mention all of us kids, but not so much him. I noticed and that. Because he was, he was not um, living under the same roof as all of us. He was older, right? Than yeah, many well, of he's actually 24 years older than me. Okay. So that's quite a age gap there. Absolutely. And, um, but yeah, he was around a lot and his daughter, his first daughter is actually older than me. My niece is older than oh, me. Oh, so. okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes and, sense because like Dale had him at 14 or 15. So. Right. Yeah. And then so I was the youngest. So yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, but, um, and he... Go ahead. I oh, know. I was just gonna say we saw a lot of them, though. Um, they would come by That's a lot. Good. Go visit. So yeah. That was a question I had. You know, did did was he still did he considered himself part of the family of children too? Was he around a lot and all that? So it sounds like he was. He, pretty much, yes. Yeah. Yeah, he came around a lot. Um, he, even didn't, he didn't live there. 
he didn't have the same dynamic as we all did under the roof because you have all the squabbling and all the older ones and the younger <laughs> ones spying on him and wanting to follow them around and bothering the older ones. So he didn't really have a lot of that. But um, yeah, he was a very um, strong presence there because he was so, like I said, it, it's a good person. I mean, it was just yeah, kind of uncanny. <laughs> right. Well, Tom Fox Jr., you are not forgotten. He passed away in 2012, but uh, we will continue to keep his memory alive. And then there's the lovely Cheryl Rogers, now Barnett, who Roy and his second wife had adopted in 1941. Now, by the time Roy and Dell were married, Cheryl was interested in meeting her birth mother, right? Yes, she was. Um, she would ask mom about it a lot, and mom called to um, Hope Cottage, Dallas, mm -hmm. to find out what she can, you know, what is there she could do to find out. And at that time, you really didn't have a lot that they would um, tell you. But mom is kind of um, a strong person, insistent on find doing things and finding things out so she eventually did find um cheryl's uh, biological family oh wow and, and you know i love that about her she just seemed like she was <laughs> you didn't get a she wouldn't take no for an answer yeah so, yes <laughs> i'm gonna find your mama <laughs> some, something interesting happened while they were at hope cottage they saw you Dodie right yes yes at that time um robin was still alive mm -hmm. and they were looking at the babies and mom saw me and said that you know she wished that she hopes that i go to a a good home oh yeah and we'll, we'll talk <laughs> about more about that in a bit so mystery continues up until then <laughs> um so um so did cheryl find her so she it sounds like they did find her birth mother and yes. how did that go not quite as she wanted or expected mm. and sometimes that happens you you never yeah. know um what the the parents biological parents feel or um so but she did get her answers and questions mm. answered so yeah well i'm glad that she had that loving family mm. to surround her with with all the support and love that could possibly given to any child. So tell mm -hmm. us about what Cheryl has done in her adult life. It sounds like she's been super busy. Well, she worked at the museum for a time and then she and her husband went out um, on tours and festivals and um, she wrote a couple books. She's written three books actually wow. now. And um, she, uh, um, has been doing that a lot now she's cutting back um she lost her husband oh um fairly recently and um that was a quite a shock to all of us but um so she's regrouping so to speak mm -hmm. and um i don't know what all she's planning to do um yet so um she's not the kind of just sit back though so <laughs> Um, it doesn't sound like it. it sounds like she has that same moxie that dale had yeah yeah 
Yeah. Well, Cheryl, we're sorry to hear about your loss and we're thinking about you. Cheryl has her own website at CherylRogers.com. She's on the advisory board of the Western Music Association and participates in the child abuse charity Child Help USA. She wrote the book Cowboy Princesses and co-wrote a book called The All-American Cowboy Grill. And it sounds like you're a third you there's a third one you mentioned that I don't know of. Um, do I you think remember it's the name Cowboy Cowboy Princes Rides Again or something like that. Oh, cool. <laughs> so. That's great. That's great. And it sounds like even some of the stuff that she has been doing, she's starting to slow down a little bit to regroup and um, Cheryl will ride again. So she's definitely stayed busy. Um, and now I'll share just a little bit about Linda Lou, who was born to Roy and his second wife in 1943. Now I'll say, I'll share just a little because you've told me she's a private person and I want to respect that. Linda Lou married a minister, Gary Johnson, and fortunately he passed away in 2008. She is surrounded though by her children and grandchildren and lives in California. So three years after his sister, Linda Lou came into the world, we talked about Roy Rogers Jr. earlier, who most know as Dusty, and he was born in 1946 to Roy and his second wife. So this again was before Roy met and married Dale. So tell us about Dusty and the things he has done in his adult life. Okay. Can I go back to Linda Lou first? Um, yeah. She, her son and um, his wife moved to Spring Hill in Tennessee, right out of Nashville. And they have written songs. And then oh. he um, followed in his dad's footsteps and became a minister. Nice. So then Linda Lou's, let me see, grandson moved back there. And they were able to talk Linda Lou and Linda Lou's daughter, Sherry, and her family to move to um, Columbia, Tennessee. Oh, so, so she's in Tennessee now. That's yeah, they great. all live in Tennessee. From us. So we've, um, we went up there and heard Robbie preach and visited with Linda That's Lou. And, um, so yeah, she's, she's close to her family, all her family. Most I'm of them. so <laughs> glad to hear that, you know, that y'all yeah. are trying to still spend time together and I know lives get busy but I mean family's everything if your parents taught you anything that's definitely yeah. one of the features <laughs> well that's great thank you for sharing a little more about Linda Lou and sounds like her family is doing very well and yes. out there performing and doing all kinds of cool stuff so um so Dusty was in the band Sons of the Pioneers right well, before that, he had his own band called um, the High Riders. So uh-huh. it was Roy Rogers Jr. and the High Riders, and he performed in the museum itself. It was separate from the museum um, in Branson, yeah, Missouri. Okay. Uh huh. And he had his own theater there, and then he retired, and then <laughs> he came out of retirement and joined the Sons of the Pioneers, and ah. now he's retired. <laughs> Now he's retired. So, now he's really retired. Yes. I wonder now how long he'll yes. stay retired. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Dusty, we see you. <laughs> yeah. Um, he sounds like he's been busy like Cheryl has been, like really into oh. the family business and carrying on their names and all that. Yes, he ran, he helped, he worked in the museum with when Cheryl did back in Victorville, California. 
And then when it moved, he did a he and his family did a majority of the moving um, to Branson, Missouri, and they all he and his family um, moved there themselves and worked in the museum. So. Okay. And now when you say the museum, we're going to talk about that too in a little bit, because I think it's an interesting thing that they, they had done for a while. Um, mm -hmm. So we'll hear about that more too. So fast forward to when Dale and Roy were married. Uh, we talked about their little daughter, Robin Elizabeth, who sadly passed away from heart complications. The family was in pain, especially Dale, and comfort came to her in a way that she wasn't even expecting. Again, oldest daughter, Cheryl, who was Roy's daughter from his second, second marriage, had been adopted and had wanted to get to know her birth mother, as we talked about. So Dale took her to Hope Cottage from where Cheryl had originally been adopted. And Dodie, tell us about that trip and the subsequent trips to Hope Cottage in Dallas, Texas. Okay, after um, Robin passed away, um, they still had to go on tour because they had a contract and the old, the show must go on applied. So um, they were getting ready to go on that tour and um, mom was still grieving and dad thought, well, maybe we should take a stop in Dallas to Hope Cottage. And mom wasn't too sure. She said that she wasn't sure she was there yet, um, but she would go with them. So dad said, told me that they had no sooner pulled up when she was already out the door. He said he barely got the car in park before she was out the door and running up the steps. And he, um, knew. Went, he knew his wife and what she needed. Yeah. <laughs> and she came in and they all recognized them, the um, employees. Um, saw her and so they were happy to see them and she went straight to where she had seen me last and they she asked if you know I was still there that Indian baby and I said yes and as soon as she saw me she picked me up oh. and that was a no-no there are their rules you know you don't handle the babies right and they were trying to be um nice about it and not, me down. I mean, this was yeah this was dale evans and at that time right kind of a big big deal and they didn't want to get on to her but they said mrs rogers i'm sorry but you can't pick up the baby and she <laughs> said oh and she hugged me <laughs> and she Aww. said but she needs me and i need her and they said well well <laughs> that's how do you say no to that yeah she said well she's spoken for and also there's a lot of you know things surrounding you have to be of um indian blood and mom said well dad was mm -hmm. and they uh said well you live out of state and the united way that funds them preferred that the adoptive parents live in the area any at least in texas okay so yeah. So she said, well, we'll have to call a meeting and see what we can do. And mom and dad had to go on. So they went on. And um, when I visited the uh, Hope Cottage in, as an adult, they told me that it was a story that everybody knows that is handed down, but wow. they had to call an emergency meeting and see what, you know, what they could do what can be done you're spoken for they don't yeah. live in the state i mean 
yeah, I, obviously your dad was Choctaw. So that was probably the one thing right. for them. Mm-hmm. Wow. So they went on to uh, Kentucky. Do you want me to continue? <laughs> or, yeah, go ahead. The a... story is so interesting. They went on to Kentucky and um, dad had arranged for several seats to be made to those that um, weren't always able to get to functions that had problems. He wanted to make sure that even um, that all kids would have a way to to come. So he he made sure that there were certain seats that were just for kids with problems and or couldn't afford it. And then he contacted um, an orphanage, I guess, down there and said, do you have a little boy, oh, about five or six that, you know, you might want to bring and maybe we could look at him for possibly a brother for Dusty. And so um, I know it seems so funny that you just go from orphanage to orphanage. Let's pick out this kid. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now we're looking also for a little boy. Do you have one? Yeah. (laughs) So they did. They brought Sandy. His name was John David. I mean, his name was Harry Hardy at the time. Oh, okay. And And, um, and so when you, so basically when they went to get him, they, they called ahead and there's like, yes, we have a boy. And they just went there and got him that day or, or, you know, during that trip. Yes. <laughs> they brought wow. him. To Definitely changed. <laughs> and when um, he saw dad and he was in his little Western suit and costume and um, he put his hand out to dad and said, howdy, Padna. <laughs> and that, uh, yeah. That melted his heart. So the deal was sealed with that one. Oh, yeah. So, so they p- put in uh, paperwork for um, that adoption, wow. and then uh, they had to go on to Madison Square Garden, New York, and um, that's when they got the call that I was there. So, so I wonder what happened to that other family. Were they just like? I don't know. Mom had mentioned that it was kind of a wealthy woman. So I have no idea. (laughs) Well, you were definitely wanted. There were two (laughs) families fighting over you. (laughs) Oh, and you were only seven months old, right? When they Mm -hmm. went to get you. Oh, Mm -hmm. wow. So Hope Cottage is still open today and has a lovely facility in Dallas, Texas, so Dale was 40 years old when they adopted you. And again, you were yes. seven years old. So, I mean, she must have just, I can't imagine what she had gone through in her life. She finally had, she had her little boy, Tom, and that was kind of a rough period in her life. And so then she has a little girl with the love of her life, Roy, and then that baby passes away. So at 40 years old, she still had that aching in her heart. She still wasn't fulfilled. I can only imagine what a bright light you brought into your mom's life after the loss of their daughter, Robin. And from everything I've read and the accounts that you give, it seems your mother was just head over heels about you. So tell us about the song she used to sing for you on stage. She wrote a song called Chicky Wicky Choctaw. <laughs> now, it's a cute song. It has a drum beat sound to it and stuff. And um it may not be the kind of song that um, 
Native Americans would appreciate now because of its um, tone, Chicky Wiggy Choctaw, but the wording is nice and the fact that um, she did it out of love. She loved me enough. She did to it out of love. Want to, yeah. Absolutely. And now um, things have changed. So, but I would never take away from why people do certain things back then. And, and the fact that they don't always know um, when they're stepping on another culture's toes, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't think they should always be cited for that. Um, Agreed. Agreed. So anyhow, I'm like, yeah, because I, I I realized, like mm. you said, this song was written in another time and could be taken the wrong way today if you don't know that full story of Dell's meaning behind it. She absolutely adored you. I mean, there's story after story of her just, you were everything to her. But I, I see it as a sweet little song your mama wrote for her little baby girl. Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and play a little excerpt from that. I oh. won't play the whole thing. But again, this is Chicky Wiki Choctaw written by Del Evans for Dodie for you listeners. Out oh. western way in California lives a little Indian maid. sweet little song and I hope that people will hear the meaning behind it and the love behind it more than anything so when you were 15 it seems your mama was thinking about your Native American heritage how so well she knew that um Cheryl how much she wanted to know her biological family and assumed that I did too hmm. and but my feelings were a little bit different I felt that I was not wanted hmm. and that um, I really didn't want to know who gave me up because if they didn't want me, then what point was there? But mom right. always told me that, that it wasn't like that, that it was more of a, it was a hard decision and that she did the best out of love. So right. I tried to look at it that way. But so she went on assuming that I would want to know them someday. And I'm so glad she did. But Aww. so she went and found them, my biological grandmother and um, mother, and arranged for me to meet them. And I, when she told me, I was like, oh, you did what? <laughs> <Mom>. Okay. <laughs> well, all right, then. 
So it was strange. I mean, it was um, different. And my mom told me that she wanted, she had another reason because she was getting up in age and that if anything ever happened to her, she wanted me to still have a mother. Oh, and this is so unselfish. This is so Del Rogers. She was just yeah. like the fact that she wanted you and Cheryl to know your birth parents. A lot of people wouldn't want to do that. They'd be like, I know they were going to like yeah. fall in love with their birth parents. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's always been hard to, to understand. I mean, the more to me, the more love a child can get the better and Absolutely. that you will never, nobody could ever take your place as parents and raising a child you know, yeah. it's you're their parents, and I so agree. I agree. I agree. I met them. One well, other thing too is that mm-hmm. being adopted, we knew. I mean, you couldn't keep it a secret anyhow. But <laughs> we knew from the time we were little, and couldn't even say the word. Um, we would say adopted. That, <laughs> that that's what we were, but it didn't mean anything because we were all one big family. And we were all treated the same. We were all loved the same. We were all disciplined the same. So it really didn't mean anything. And I know that there are some that will keep it a secret. Mm. But the thing is, if one other person knows, there's a chance that that secret's going to come out. And if you don't tell them, then somebody else will. And that's going to be even harder. So I would not... (laughs) I would not suggest that you that you keep it a secret that you tell them from the time that you know they don't even yeah. know what it is and so right, they just grow it, up and the thought may be they're trying to protect them but it's really not in the whole scheme of things no, right because if uh-uh, they do find out it's right. going to be hurtful yeah I, so this a is shock good. yeah the, the, i mean this is good advice for adoptive parents I would think um I haven't been there so I haven't walked in those shoes but it's great advice because it's coming from someone who was adopted so yes <laughs> so I met them and I looked at them and my first thought was oh they look like me <laughs> but actually I mean I look like them but right it was, yeah it was these are my people. surprising <laughs> yeah it's just we had the same bone structure and coloring everything it was wow mm-hmm. <laughs> that was kind of eye-opening but um yeah so that and then, i never thought about that that moment when you first saw them yeah that's what you were thinking and did um, they hug you did they seem warm we didn't hug we were kind of just all looking at each other <laughs> and they're kind of like me they were quiet and and uh not talkative mm-hmm. and thankful my mom was <laughs> because yeah uh, she, she brought she got everybody together dialogue going and we talked a little bit and um she told me about my three half brothers hmm. and um but i just felt kind of odd i mean i was shy so it's not easy for me to talk to people anyhow that's one so, of the first things you told me. You were like, I'm quiet. <laughs> I got you. Don't worry. <laughs> I come from a family. Both sides of my family are very quiet people. So oh, they, I don't know where no. I came from, but yeah, I get it. <laughs> huh? 
so and wow. that's how it kind of went mom would mm -hmm. you know keep it going and oh my so grandma it, did tell me she said um someday i'll tell you why i had my daughter you know put you up for adoption so oh, that so told was, me right there that she was the factor that that why i was adopted and then and i what did, did later find out she never came out and said but she just said that um at that time her daughter was going jerry jerry is mm -hmm. my biological mom's name was going to college and not a lot of native americans finished college and it was important that she get her education because native americans really needed it so that's and that big. she would be able to do it with with a, a child so um yeah that's a, that's interesting do you know what college your mom went to oh i did but i can't remember right yeah. now was was it somewhere um, like in texas or or oklahoma, oklahoma you know? i think oklahoma and yeah. that's my biological father went there too but he had contacted um, tuberculosis and oh. so she was not even allowed to go there to be near him because um i guess they said native americans caught it easily i'm not sure about that but <laughs> um right so she, she stayed away and um he ended up marrying his nurse that, at least that's what i've been told so and his last name was chisholm and that's all i know i've never known that side of the family yeah my uh, nieces one of them in particular is working on it i'm tracing some of the since we don't have the same um tiger name she is right. looking into that part of it so. okay right i'm so glad someone's doing that and it'll be nice for you to have some of those answers if you're still wanting, wanting yeah. them yeah, if you're anything like me, I have to know. I just have to know all the details. <laughs> well, and your birth mom was only 18. So that being young, being right. in college, it it really does make sense. And it doesn't sound like it was a terrible situation. You know, she wasn't on drugs and had to give you up no, because she couldn't care no. for you. It was just in her best interest at the time to do what she did. And I love that they were open to meeting you. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. My mom told me beforehand too that I could be proud of her because she was a strong good woman she excelled in math and so she really mom really um embraced the idea of me having another mom so to speak it's amazing um, yeah yeah wow and then your grandma was grandma Lucy tell us about her oh uh, she was a strong woman she was the matriarch oh um i have a picture of her i don't oh, know what let's see. see it <gasps> look at her oh my gosh she definitely is a choctaw woman <laughs> <laughs> she's lovely i'm so glad you have yeah. that photo i have some oh, of them so um my nieces are sending more pictures to me but um this yeah, gets me all and... like goosebumpy and teary. That's so cool. I love that you have that and share shared that with us. Yeah. I, I need to have that picture too, so I can share it on social okay. for everyone to see. Um, but she and mom go along great. Um, Lucy didn't talk a lot, 
she would answer questions, but it was more of a don't give her yes or no question because that's exactly what you're going to get. You know, it's like, yes, and then that's they it. They were quiet. <laughs> yeah, so she didn't have small talk. But yeah, um, there's no small talk going on there. So <laughs> she, but she and mom, they got along great. In fact, they were close in age. Um, oh, that's so neat. And the sad part about this is that my Jerry, my mom, my biological mom, ended up passing away at a fairly young age. I think she was, oh man, close to 60, something oh, like that. Oh yeah, oh my. And um, so that was, and my grandmother at the funeral, my mom took me and my grandmother, Lucy, sang a Choctaw hymn in Choctaw. Beautiful. So, yeah, it, it was. And, Hmm. So I'm sorry she was gone too soon, sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you you were saying that to me one time that in your biological family you're the oldest, but in your adoptive family, you're the youngest. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think you've got the was... best of both worlds, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell me about your youngest brother. <laughs> um well I had three half brothers, and at okay. one of my weddings. I've been married more than once at um, one of my weddings. They all came and I have a picture of that somewhere, but I gotta, I gotta find it. Do some digging. Um, okay. Yeah. And uh, so they all came, but my youngest, he, he almost treated me like I was his youngest sister because he Aww. would call, his name was Mike and he would call and um, check up on me and, well, when I first got married, he told me, he said, oh, you're marrying a white man. <laughs> he, oh, he, darn. Believed, <laughs> he believed in keeping the blood line strictly mm. Native American, well, strictly Choctaw. <laughs> so, wow. and, um, but he would check and see how I was and um, call me sis. And he was just very, very brotherly. And um, he had had problems. He had been married a few times, um, but he had drug problems and he was in, had gone to jail and had gotten out. And uh, he had told me that I was lucky that I was raised with, were, with the Rogers family. He said, because there was a, he experienced a lot of prejudice mm. and um, problems in, um, so he, he said that, you know, I was lucky I wasn't involved in where he, how he was raised or where he yeah. was raised. And, um, but he had, um, had gone to his wedding, his last wedding in Long Beach. They lived in Long Beach and I was late and I thought, oh no, they've already started. But when he saw me, he ran over and said, oh, he said, I wasn't going to get married without my sis. So oh my it was gosh! Like, oh. <laughs> so sweet. Yep, I know. And I uh, that y'all had so a good then, relationship. Then um, he um, slipped up. He had got back into drugs or was going to. I'm not sure how long. Um, and he got. He was shot down in Long Beach. The projects down there. Oh my gosh. And 
yeah, and then he was he was killed, and oh. I went to his funeral with my daughter. I took my daughter at that time, and um, yeah, that was really really hard. I just I don't like to cry publicly. <laughs> yeah, I just have this thing, and I held it back, held it back. But as soon as everybody had gone out, I could feel it was like a yes a dam bursting and I couldn't hold it back anymore and I just I just let loose <laughs> but um, right right wow another another one lost at a young age really yeah yeah and I lost my other half brother too sometime later and so I have, still have one Bo, his name is, oh, I think Bo. I have a picture of him. Um, he's, oh, he went to the ministry. That's my, oh, now I'm not sure if you can see. Oh, there's Bo. Yeah, he looks great. So is he Bo Frazier? No, um, they're the Tiger family. I was a Frazier. Okay. And then she married, Jerry married um, Felix Tiger. And then had okay. the, the three little tigers. <laughs> The three little tigers. <laughs> and they were all boys. It. Yeah. Which was kind of a coincidence. I mean, not a coincidence, but a kind of, I don't know. It's, yes. You have one girl. and Yeah. But that the was only girl. Different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so did you stay it pretty tight in contact with your mom and grandma, like over the years no. until your mom passed and all that? Not a lot. Um, I did go to their house a couple of times and my grandma was it yeah, she fixed um a couple of meals, Indian meals for me, including fry bread. Oh. And um so yeah, I did visit, but we weren't really tight. I um was married at a young age. I was seventeen. I had my daughter the following year and that kind of <laughs> took up a lot of my time. I yeah. lived in Delaware for a year and then um, came back to the high desert. Yeah. It's hard so. to, you know, keep all that going when you've got a million things going on and you had so many brothers and sisters. Um, oh, yes. so. <laughs> <laughs> so did your biological family, did they practice the Choctaw culture and traditions? Um, my grandmother, not a lot. I mean, she knew the language, but she was a Christian. And so she didn't um, get involved or didn't want me involved, like going to the, um, um, forget like what the powwows and powwows. That's it. Yeah. The powwows. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not sure why. Um, yeah. But um, so, but my nieces now, are um, involved in Choctaw matters. Not all of them, I, but some of them are actively. And I have one that came to visit us out here a couple years ago. Nice. Her name is Tammy Tiger. And oh, I have a picture of her too. Oh, good. She, uh, <laughs> oh, hi, Tammy. Oh, she's beautiful. And that's your niece? Yeah. Oh, yes. I love it. In fact, they're all beautiful girls. <laughs> they are, uh, yeah, very handsome family. Um, so, she came out and visit and um, taught us how to make fry bread. So you should have seen my daughter, <laughs> my granddaughter, um, 
and I in the kitchen trying to do what <laughs> Tammy was showing us. We had flour everywhere. And my daughter As had you it do on with my bread. And I took a picture of my daughter's butt <laughs> with all this flour on it. I don't know how it got there, but um, and it was delicious though. Hashtag bacon fry bread. <laughs> That's so cute. I love that. And it is a family affair when you all get together in the kitchen yeah. and it gets smoky in there from all the oils and <laughs> so much fun. I love that. So I had this little epiphany and I might be totally wrong, but so you, you tell me, but I got to thinking when I was doing this research and you turned 15 in 1967 and you had told me that age 15 was when your mom really was trying to really push the culture on you more and all of that. And you know what else happened in 1967 was the Indian Expo in Anadarko. And I can't help but wonder, did she oh. see you around people that looked like you and around all that native culture and thought maybe it was time that you learned about your own Choctaw culture, you know? Well, she was trying to teach me she bought me a book called um the rise and fall of the choctaw nation and all along but i was just busy growing yeah. up and playing <laughs> that <laughs> age like friends tried to yeah. tell a 15 year old anything <laughs> so at that point yeah i think when when i think about it and when you said that was that year it was wow yeah well, that probably sparked things um, in our Choctaw paper the Biskinic, an article was written in May of 2022 titled adoption led to Choctaw girls forever home with legendary king of the cowboys and queen of the west by Shelia Kirvin and in that article she writes her meaning your uh, biological grandmother would come to visit and became good friends with Evans and I absolutely love that that they actually mm -hmm. became friends as you had mentioned and again, it just makes me love your mom, Dale, even more. She was giving and a loving woman and unselfishly wanted the best for you. So you did a little acting when you were younger, right? I saw something about, <laughs> I found it. <laughs> uh, I saw something about your part of playing the part of a little boy, baby Sprague and little dynamite. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah. So cute. Good acting, huh? <laughs> I cried <laughs> out to you. <laughs> Do you remember that? How old were you? No, I was about <laughs> okay. one, one-ish. Oh yeah, you were half, really small. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, I love that yeah. you had to play a baby boy. <laughs> That's so funny. I was like, a boy? I they know. made her play a boy? Because you were like such a beautiful yeah. little girl. <laughs> Oh, well, we're, we're talking about your life here um, in this section before we go on to talk about the rest of your brothers and sisters. But I did want to highlight again, we met John earlier. Um, seems like a great guy. <laughs> so you eventually found that love of your life like your mom and dad did. So tell us a little bit about your family. Do you have kids and all that? Well, he has two children, a boy and a girl. Um, and I have one daughter and she has i have three grandchildren uh -huh. and oh dear. eight great-grandchildren 
Wow. So we had been, again, talking about your brothers and sisters, and I was going in order of when each of them came into your dad and mom's lives. So immediately after your adoption, Roy and Dell were on a roll. And so you have that really quick adoption around the same times of yourself and Sandy. Um, Sandy was born in 1947. I know his name was actually John David, um, but it seems like nicknames were all the rage back then, right? It was actually Harry Hardy when they adopted him. And then they named him John David. Okay. This is what's crazy about when I went into Ancestry.com and I was trying to look up your family members, I had to look them up by sometimes, like, for instance, Dale, I had to look her up by three different names because she is listed in Ancestry. In one tree, this name, one tree, another oh, name. Wow. You know, there's the Francis, there's the Lucille, and then there's the Dale. So a lot of your family members, I've had to do that. It's really wow. complicated. <laughs> but, you know, you got nine kids and they all have um, uh, nicknames. So, <laughs> um, yes. okay, so tell us what Sandy was like. Oh, he was, he was very... Um, outgoing he was very funny he um liked to have good times he liked to tease his older brother <laughs> sometimes wouldn't stop <laughs> but um he was just a, a great kid overall i mean he just um good times and um he had this hearty laughter laugh and um <laughs> he was just a good kid it sounds like it. Now, were he and Dusty, were they good friends? They brothers? were a lot of the times. <laughs> and as siblings, you know, when you're close to age. Yeah. You, Dusty was a quieter person. Yeah. And um, Sandy loved to tease. And he just didn't know when to stop. And sometimes Dusty wouldn't appreciate it. <laughs> But they did um, like age together. They had these little uh, um, where they would switch mail from mailboxes, not knowing it was a federal crime. <laughs> oh my <laughs> Things gosh! Like that. <laughs> um, so yeah, they they were friends, and then they were so didn't always easily get along with each other. But overall, yeah. yeah. They were. Yeah, they probably would have had each other's backs, I imagine. Oh, yeah. Yes. We're at each yeah. other's throats. So I love the story I read in the Courier Journal, October of 1957. It read, Sandy had been their son just a very short time when one day, sitting on his father's lap, watching TV, he screamed, Daddy, there's Roy Rogers! Not realizing... <laughs> not realizing momentarily that his new father was Roy Rogers. Yep. Yes. <laughs> it's so cute i mean i guess that's what it's like when you have parents that are famous probably so but i'd like to pay our respects to sandy by telling his story so rogersdalewordpress.com says that sandy which was much smaller he had been severely abused as a child and sustained brain damage as a result sandy had difficulty doing normal things like riding a tricycle and climbing ladders but he never gave up he had a lot of trouble in school and couldn't seem to keep up. So Roy and Dale enrolled both the boys in a military school. The first school didn't turn out very well, but the second one was great. In the early 1960s, the Rogers family took a vacation to Hawaii. While on the island, Sandy was exposed to hundreds of Marines and other military personnel. 
Sandy had always loved playing with small plastic army men, and this experience pushed him closer to the army. Despite his struggles with school, Sandy managed to pass the exams and signed up for the army. He was deemed unsuitable for Vietnam, and so he was sent to Germany. So I think this is a good example of how Sandy wasn't going to let anything stop him. And it really made me feel like I knew him a little bit better from those words. It's almost like his small stature gave him fodder to work even harder. But his time in the service didn't last long, did it? No. Um, I just want to say one thing. They, he grew up loving everything Southern. Mm. Um, he from a young age, he would um, collect um, Civil War um, things that memorabilia, yeah. and he would save up his money. He bought a sword from that period, and I'm not sure where he got it. It was like he just loved the Civil War era. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Um, he would call himself Stanley the Reb, and oh. again back in those times they didn't uh look at rebels as as we do today um, sure southern and so um he just loved collecting collectibles and he and dusty would play army men um, <laughs> i mean they would go to great lengths to build these barracks and these <laughs> they would dig out these caves and little things and they would um plan their strategy and everything and so yeah, at, at a young age, he was always um, he so loved into it. That. Yeah, and so Hawaii just helped cement, you know, what he always felt. And he begged mom and dad to go into the service. And that first, they said no because he was only seventeen at the time. Yeah, and um, he just kept on and kept on and he always knew what he wanted so they let him go in and uh, um, he tried and tried and tried and they had him on um, army I mean not army they had him in um, tank artillery mm -hmm. first and when he almost blew up the wrong <laughs> object they said oh. well okay we'll move you <laughs> yeah so Aww. but he finally made private first class and he was so proud and so Aww. happy and like they do they you know take him out to drink and since he was not used to it um the drinks they gave him were many um these hmm. different concoctions um and then followed by other things other types of drink and um, it was just too much for him, and he got sick. And they took him to the um, infirmary, and he threw up. And they said, okay, we'll just leave him here and sleep it off. And they put him down to sleep it off, and they put him on his back, not realizing that um, he still would get sick, probably. And um, right. he did aspirate. Um, and died and it was oh just God. um what a terrible too, way to tragic. die yeah oh my god it's such a sad story i feel so bad for your family they've already suffered some loss and and unfortunately you know there was more to come i hate to break it to you, our listeners but i'm really 
I'm amazed at your family and parents' resilience. Yeah, yeah, me too. Do you remember that time when this happened? Oh, yes. We had moved to Apple Valley. Well, this was after Debbie. Oh, okay. So this is further, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So we're both, um, (laughs) in fact, we're about to talk about Debbie. Um, So Miss Deborah Lee, known as Debbie, was born in 1952 and she was adopted from Korea. And I think she was only four years old when she was adopted. Do I have that right? She, yes, she was just turning four. She hadn't turned four yet. Um, Okay. But I was was four. I'm a little bit, I'm like five, six months older than her. Okay. So y'all were really close in age. Five. Yeah. Yeah. And were you guys (laughs) close as sisters? Did you get along pretty well? Okay. <laughs> like I said, siblings. Siblings. Um, okay. No judgment from me. I have two older siblings and I know exactly how that goes. <laughs> They're both girls when, too. When they, uh, when I, since I was the youngest and a few years, about six years younger than Dusty and um, five than Sandy, um, they thought, well, because I was the only girl and also because of my Native American heritage that I might be um, looked at or separated from the rest of the family um, because of my heritage, basically. And so mm-hmm. when a friend of theirs who was in charge of um, an orphanage going over there said he was going there to South Korea that um, um, mom gave him a picture of me and said, well, if you can find a little girl about Dodie's age and her coloring, then, you know, can you bring her back to us? So he did. And her name Aww. was Enai Lee. Aww. And she, her father was Puerto Rican from one of the servicemen that had been over there. And the mother had passed away, was Korean. So, um, they brought her back and adopted her. She was about five months younger than me and um, couldn't speak English. So she- What an adjustment for baby. Yeah. I mean, there were really things that was hard, not just the language barrier, but um, I would find her (laughs) up in the middle of the night on the floor. She'd end up sleeping on the floor. Oh. And I guess because of where she had slept previous, that they all slept on the floor. Yeah. And it just, uh-huh. the bed just wasn't comfortable. Or I'm not sure. But, right. and also um, Bullet, who was our German Shepherd the dog. dog. <laughs> he was just as sweet as can be. She was scared of him. She'd, uh-huh. you know, pull back from him and everything and act afraid. And that would make me wonder, well, what are you scared of blood for? Right. So, um, and we went downtown once we were driving and one of the sirens went off, they were testing. And that siren threw her into a tizzy. I mean, she was crying and screaming and holding on oh to mom. Gosh. And um, it, because they, they had sirens all the time going off and some of them were very real at that time. And wow. Um, Oh, so yeah, trauma that she carried into her her life. 
And um, she would try to communicate by pointing and saying things. And finally, she um, just started learning the language really easy. Um, when, hmm. I guess when they say children do pick up language yeah. easier, um, the fact that she was around it all the time. And um, so, yeah, she then she learned uh, English. So, but as far as I, she was smaller than me. Mm -hmm. And I was the older sister. Well, then she started to get taller than me. And she was very, uh, very outgoing. She was like Sandy. They were yeah. social butterflies. And Dusty and I were quiet, <laughs> the quieter ones. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, yeah, we started getting a little, as she, she got taller than me, she started getting a little more bossier. <laughs> At least ah. that's what I felt. <laughs> and so uh, there was a period in which we um, didn't, well, she had her friends and I had mine. So yeah. there was really, we didn't really clash that that way. So, um, and I was in a, a grade, half a grade ahead of her. And so um, there were times when we would argue and get upset at each other and then we'd be okay. And then mm. again, um, sisters <laughs> but the last um year um before she passed um we became very close and i'm not sure what happened but mm -hmm. we started um made a pool and we would swim and make up um stories we pretend we were mermaids Aww. and all that <laughs> stuff and um we got close and it felt it was really nice and i'm glad we did i'm glad you did too the Pittsburgh Press in 1957 quoted Dale saying, Tom, we have prayed much about this addition to our family, and we believe it is according to the will of God. As in the case of Dodie, we have already named our little Korean blossom Deborah before she even gets here. Her bed is ready right next to Dodie's, and the children have for some time now spoken of Debbie as if she is already installed in our family. She is truly a war orphan. Her mother died from the ravages of disease, and her father was lost in the war. So there was a pretty specific reason Roy and Dell wanted to adopt her, it sounds like, and that was a lot having to do with they wanted you to have a sister, someone that looked more like you and you didn't feel like um, you were so far apart from the others with skin color or things like that, which I think is is really sweet. But unfortunately, Debbie's life was cut short when she was just 12 years old. What happened to Debbie? Well... We were uh, involved in the Chapel in the Canyon Church at that time, and they would ever so often take a trip down to Tawana to take to an orphanage there and take supplies that they might need or want. And we were all supposed to go, um, I guess it was Monday morning, and this was on a Sunday, and we were in church, and my mom sang in the choir. And she looked at me, and I don't know how she could see, because I felt fine, but she started looking at me and frowning. And then she kind of looked, pointed to someone else and, and saying, look at me. And the lady would look at me, and I was like, what? <laughs> and so as soon as the service ended, she said, she put her hand up to my head and said, you don't look very well. She said, you're wide around the mouth. She said, do you hmm. feel okay? And I said, well, I am starting to feel a little 
um, subpar. And uh, yeah, so we went home and she touched my head again and said, you've got a fever. Mm. And um, mm -hmm. she was always on top of things like that. That's she so worried sweet. About she knew kids. just by looking at you, you weren't feeling <laughs> well. That's so cute. <laughs> and so she put me to bed and took my fever thermometer. And yes, I did. And mm. she said, well, you can't go tomorrow. And she, um, I threw up and for sure I couldn't go tomorrow. <laughs> and she told yeah. Debbie she couldn't either. If I can't, then she can't. Mm -hmm. So Debbie started to cry and mm -hmm. get upset and said, it's not fair. Her birthday was coming up soon. And she said, I've been wanting to do this. She said, why do I have to stay home? And so right. mom said, all right, you know, because there was adults that were going mm -hmm. and um, um, people that she knew that would watch us and everything. So she finally agreed um, to let Debbie go. And so they she took her to the church the next morning and they left early. And when I got up, I felt fine. It was like, oh, good. You know, I feel good. Right. And um, my fever had gone. Um, my appetite was back. And I thought, and they had already left. The bus had already left. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, you know, if I had known, I could have gone too. Yeah. And um, so then mom went to see dad in the hospital. He had had surgery on his neck. Um, and had developed strep. And so um, during the day, I was getting kind of bored because um, there was nothing to do. <laughs> and so right. I went outside and I was looking around. I thought, well, maybe I should ride my bike. And I was looking around for the dogs. And all of a sudden, a bike fell over. And I turned around because I looked because we have a bike rack. It's yeah. a rack in which the bike, the front tire fits over it. Mm -hmm. And there's bikes on either side. So even if it did fall, it would fall against it. For, if yeah. for some reason the tire got out from, from where it was. Yeah. And it was like, well, the only way that bike could fall over was if somebody took it out. <laughs> but nobody was there. It was just the Mrs. Minor. Oh her name was Mrs. Minor and I. And there was no wind, and it That's and it was so Debbie's bizarre. bike. The funny, oh, the weird thing was the reason it was why bike. we're freaked out by this. That's crazy. Yeah. So I put the bike back, thinking, well, maybe there's something. I don't know. I couldn't imagine, and it was okay. It stayed there. So I decided to go in. I, I'm an avid reader. I always was since a little kid. <laughs> so I decided uh -huh. to go read. And um, the phone rang. And I got up and Mrs. Minor had gotten the phone first. But I was still walking towards the kitchen. And all of a sudden I saw Mrs. Minor grab the counter on the table. And kind of like she, um, I don't know like she had hurt herself or something right and then she kind of she put the phone down and she turned to me because I had just reached the kitchen and she was breathing hard and like she couldn't talk almost and oh all she God. said was there was a bus accident Debbie's dead 
my god and i was like what and she said there was a bus accident and i couldn't comprehend that i ran to my room and um grabbed my bible and just was kind of crying but i thought well no that's not it's not possible and then i heard my mother i heard my mother's voice and she had come into the kitchen or she was just coming in i had gone started walking towards the kitchen and mm -hmm. um, i heard her say something about the air conditioner that maybe it wasn't working right or something and oh, um no then i heard I saw Mrs. Miner turn to her and my mom just kind of fell against her and I didn't hear what Mrs. Miner said. I just, my, I saw my mom and she just cried out, you know, oh, my baby, my poor baby. And that her pain just seared me and I ran outside because I couldn't take it. It was like, you just want to put your hands over your head your ears right. like you can keep out the sound or whatever and i grabbed my dog i was a dog person mm -hmm. <laughs> and i grabbed my dog and we went running out into the field and mm -hmm. we had some big machinery there and there was an earth mover there and the bucket was not used it was down and i just i had my bible with me and i grabbed my dog and just sat there crying and praying and holding him and hugging him and um, begging God to not let it be true and why did he do this and that and then I remember my dad was in the hospital and dad and Debbie were very very close they um, like I said he was tended to be on the quiet side so you have opposites <laughs> that kind of yeah and so she was a big daddy's girl and um, I said, oh, no, you know, my dad's in the hospital. What is this going to do to him? And I it was like, God, you know, do you realize what you've done? <laughs> you've, yeah, you know, your dad's in the hospital. Your yeah. mom's already lost a child when that two years and old. So and so it's like, oh. and so I stayed there for the longest time. I don't even know how long. And then I heard my mom's voice calling me. And I thought, well, I have to go to her and she was being supported by Dusty on one side and I'm not even sure who was on the other side um she could barely walk and I just ran to her because she needed me at that moment and um but then it was just kind of fuzzy afterwards I don't remember everything I just remember a lot of people there and the doctor came and he gave mom and me something to take to help us sleep and um yeah that was difficult and then the next day i had slept with my mom that night and uh the next day and somebody else had slept there too i think it was judy a, a good friend and uh so i woke up and it hit me again. I kept thinking, you know, please don't let this be true. Please let it be all a bad dream. Right. But I knew I it wasn't. It was a nightmare. Yeah. So when I came out of her room, um, everybody was talking and they were talking about that something strange had happened in the night. 
we have a dog. Mom has her favorite dog was Bowser, who was half coyote and half chow. He had a oh, curled wow. tail, and a black tongue, and beautiful dog. So sweet. Yeah. And um, yeah. they were saying that in the middle of the night, they heard somebody crying. They heard somebody sobbing. So Mrs. Minor had come out to see who it was. And mom had actually heard it. So they went out and it was Bowser, the do their do her dog, sitting in the chair that Debbie set, usually sits in. And he was just sobbing. I mean, they said it wasn't like crying, like it was a human sob, like you cry so hard that you can't even catch your breath. And then you're, <gasps> and then start crying again. It was like, oh, oh my wow. God. Yeah. So it's it was, like the dog sensed this was happening. And then the I bike guess. situation. That's just so bizarre. Yeah. 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 It is. Oh my it's, gosh, your poor family. And Mrs. Meyer, I feel bad for her. Minor. Minor. She had to give the, yeah. the news yeah. to her mom. Oh, God. It sounds like she was very much a part of your family, too. Yeah. Yeah. She was. I can't imagine that kind of grief. I just, to lose a child. I know. Unbelievable. And you were almost on that bus. Yeah. You almost Yeah, went. that's strange too. And then she almost didn't go, which is I'm sure that went through your mom's head a thousand times, which it shouldn't be. Yeah. Have, but it's I not know. her fault. Right. Oh. But... Wow. So that was in August of nineteen sixty four. And the papers wrote that the bus's frontline tire had blown out and crashed head on into three cars, then jumped the guardrail and it killed eight people and injured 56 people. So the whole story is obviously so sad. She had been on a mission with other kids to take food and clothes to an orphanage in Mexico. I mean, what a good little girl. And I just can't imagine how heartbreaking that must have been. So I bet... Wow you and your family miss her so much. It's sad that I can't say, oh, what was her life like as an adult? You know, like it was just, she was so young, like 12 years mm -hmm. old, right? Yes. Wow. And so now that puts that into per perspective too, that you said that Sandy died after this happened as well. The next year. The next year. How much can one family take? My Yeah, goodness. yeah. I don't know. Wow. It's just your poor mama. I mean, all of you, your poor mom and dad and yeah, and all that. All right. Well, thank you for sharing about Debbie and, you know, it's, it's always nice when we can keep their, their memories alive. And, and then the final child to come into the Rogers family was Marion who went by Mimi and she was born in 1940, but she was fostered, not adopted. Correct. Right. Oh, I have a picture of her too. Oh, good. When she was over in Scotland. So that was that what she looked like when they got her? When they adopted her. Uh huh. That's and, amazing. Uh, the man that That's was responsible for Aww. helping that. To Look facilitate. At her her. She's definitely dressed as a Scottish child. Yeah. So <laughs> cute. So, um, a BBC News article in 2019 stated that Marion Fleming was born in Edinburgh, Scotland, where she was discovered by Roy and Dale in a children's home. Marion Fleming was born in 1940 in an air raid shelter in Edinburgh in the United Kingdom. 
So she spent most of her life in different children's homes. And when Dale and Roy were performing at the children's home she lived in, they saw her and were determined to get to know her better. She stepped forward to sing a song for the couple and they were so impressed they wanted to bring her home with them. She was invited back to their home in California for the holidays and didn't go back to Scotland until she had her own children. Mimi married her husband, Dan, when she was just 17 years old. He entered the Marine Corps and they welcomed three children together before he passed away when they were still young. So it seems like your parents tried to adopt Mimi, but they were unable to. Do you know why? The international laws and also mm. her parents were still alive. And oh. I don't think they gave permission for her to be adopted. Wow. And um, okay. I'm not sure, sure what the international laws were. Yeah. So mom and dad were able to get legal guardianship of her. Mm -hmm. And um, so she just stayed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and, and got married. Yeah. But then, oh my gosh. Later, she became a US, US citizen. Okay. So, okay. And it sounds like, though, as she got older, she wanted to be back in her home country. So she went back. Well, she didn't go back to live, she just went back to visit as, oh, as okay. an adult. As an adult. I got you. Okay. I'm glad she got to go back and see where she was originally from and all that. Hopefully In fact, get to meet she some family. Was able to take her three kids um, oh, a nice. few years ago. What was it? Four years ago, three years ago. They all, he, she took them all back there to Aww. see her home. So that's yeah, great. that was cool. Yeah. Well, so what was she like? What do you remember about her? <laughs> <laughs> she, she was very talkative. She was very outgoing. Well, she, I wouldn't say outgoing, outgoing. She was just talkative. Yeah. And um, she just enjoyed being around people. People enjoyed being around her. She was Aww. a very fair person. I was probably, even as an adult, very close to her because you, I could talk to her about anything. And right. she wouldn't try to sugarcoat anything. I could get <laughs> honesty from her, but she was very fair. And yeah. um, she just, um, just a very loving person. Um, her, she was strong. I mean, after her husband died um, and she had to raise the kids by herself, she never complained. She never asked for anything. In fact, my mom went to visit her and she didn't have a lot of food in the house. Aww. And she was That's... giving it to her kids so that they could eat. No. And of course, mom wasn't, yeah, mom wasn't going to let that happen. <laughs> so, uh, she, no. Yeah. So she got her groceries and everything. And, but Mimi didn't like to ask for things. And she wanted, you know, she was a hard worker. She worked um, for Palmdale School District and um, just a very outstanding person all around. Just, um, she was just such a good person and one of her daughters one of her daughters she only had one daughter she had two boys <laughs> and a daughter okay and her daughter um was my daughter's coach when uh, my daughter had her first child no in way fact, her, so her daughter she was being she was an elvian i think at the time but she found she caught the um erratic um I don't know, heartbeat or the mm. the signs that, that show that there's a problem. And they had to do, ended up having to do a, 
a um, historic, um, historic, a, um, <laughs> um, like a, taking the baby through the stomach. Oh, <laughs> I oh, don't know why. I got you. Um, I got you. Um, why? Oh God. Now I can't remember. I know it. I hate cesarean. it. She I had can't... a cesarean. Yes. Session. Okay. We got it. Ding, ding. So yeah. Lori, her daughter had caught that. And so, you know, we're. That's amazing. To her. Yeah. Yeah. Aw. So, that's all in the family. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really neat story. And, and unfortunately she passed away recently, right? Yeah. That was, that was very unfortunate because like I said, she was just, pro I consider her to be the best of us, the family. It's just because she, like I said, she was always fair, always, um, didn't take sides but she did tell the truth was very yeah. truthful you know if you wanted to her honest opinion i mean it was always very good <laughs> and um but don't expect her to to sugarcoat it for you yeah so, she's a strong woman i mean she was born in a yeah. shelter so yeah yeah <laughs> she had to be strong <laughs> wow so I, and again, I, I'm sorry for your loss. It sounds like you've all been oh, close thanks. and it must be rough when you lose one of your members. So listeners, you've now gotten to know the Rogers clan a little better. And at one point, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's so many more stories too. What a cool family. But at one point there was a newspaper article in which at the time, Marion and Cheryl were 18. Linda Lou was 15, Dusty 12, Sandy 11. Dodie was six and Debbie was five and a half. And of course, little Robin had passed away at that time. And Tom isn't mentioned probably because again, he was so much older and wasn't living in the house at the time. So anyway, that gives you a good view of their age differences. So it must've been like so loud in that house and a crazy fun plan. <laughs> I just can only picture it. <laughs> the mischief yes. and the little tiffs going on and- <laughs> That's all for part two. Stay tuned for part three with Dodie Rogers. Thanks for listening to Native Chalk Talk. Be sure to join our community on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Simply search for Native Chalk Talk. That's Native, C-H-O-C-T-A-L-K. And check us out at nativechalktalk.com. Stay tuned for the next episode. You're going to love it. Yakoki. Thank you, my friends. <laughs>